uh, that you love us, grateful that you still are with us, that you are here in this place today to touch our hearts, to touch our lives, uh, to instruct us in your ways, reveal yourself to us now through your word so that we would understand and that we would grow in wisdom. Uh, Lord, we, we want to worship you, not just in an hour on Sunday, not just in a, a, a segment of our lives that is comfortable, that is easy, but to worship you fully, to worship you in total surrender. And our desire is that your life would fill up our lives. Bless us as we come to your word together today, Lord. Open our minds and hearts so that we can hear, so that we can understand. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever found yourself buying something you never intended to buy? If you're honest, probably every hand in the room would go up. Because we're all fooled into buying something that we never intended to buy. I remember back in the 80s, Jane and I had moved to Florida. We were helping start a church there, and we had bought our first house. And this offer came, come down and see what we have in these solar water heaters. And if you come, you'll just listen to our presentation, you're going to get one of a couple things. You're going to get a brand new telephone, we'll give you. Or you're going to get $100 cash just for showing up. Well, that sounded like a lot of money. Sounded like a pretty good prize. We could use another telephone. We only had like one phone in the house, and we had three or four jacks, you know. So let's get a phone. Let's listen to the presentation. So we go down there, and we listen to it. And it's a pretty good sales pitch. And the guy that was selling it actually knew some people we knew back at our college we'd gone to. said, how would you know them, you know? And he made all these connections, and he sounded so real, so personal. We decided, yeah, we'll buy one of these things. It's $1,000 for a solar, solar water heater. supposed to save us hundreds of dollars, you know, and in about five years pay for itself. That was the idea. And back then, solar water heaters are not near what they are today. They just really didn't do the job very well. But we didn't know. We were just caught up in the emotion of the moment. And so we were fooled into buying it. And before we even got home, we said that was not a good idea. That was dumb. Why did we do that? You know, first time we went through that as a couple. Uh, and, and so, thankfully, Florida had a law that said if you change your mind in three days, you could get out of that deal. You know? So we called them back the next day and said, we don't want that. They said, oh, no, no, you signed for it. This would be the best thing you ever did. And they gave us the whole sales pitch again. We said, no, we really mean it. We don't want that. We finally got out of that thing. We finally got away from that. We didn't have to pay for that. And so I'm really grateful that that happened. How many of you have fallen prey to similar sales pitch? Yeah, yeah, most of us have. All those timeshare things. Oh, by the way, did we get the $100 or did we get the phone? We got the phone. Was it a good phone? No, it was a piece of junk. <laughs> it was this cheap little phone that only worked for a little while. We kept it around as a spare in case everything else broke down. Maybe it would work. But it was the worst little thing. And, and we noticed everyone else that went to the sales pitch, they didn't get $100 either. They got one of those cheap phones. So be careful what people are promising you. That sales pitch on water heaters is so much like the pitch that we get on a lot of things, isn't it? A lot of things in life, you know, the promises are huge on the front end. 
but the, the fulfillment of those is pretty weak, pretty bad. There are a lot of imposters out there, a lot of pretend people, a lot of fake people, a lot of people that will sell you something, you know, and they're quite willing to lie in order to do that. What does this have to do to, with worship? You know, we're talking about worship. Well, there are a lot of imposters in worship too. There are a lot of false things that are promised to you, a lot of false gods and goddesses that promise you the world, that promise you satisfaction, that promise you enjoyment and meaning and, and a good life, and you're going to take care of your family, and they're going to give you a job, and they're going to provide for you all this wealth. Promises, promises, promises. What is reality? Since we are human beings made with a capacity for worship, we, we have this longing that says, I want to worship someone. And so we're kind of set up for this, you know. Somebody comes along and say, you know, this is a good thing. This is a great thing. This is, this is something, someone worthy of my worship. And, and we kind of just give that devotion and allegiance to that without really thinking it through. True worshipers, however, are wise. Are they not? True worshipers are discerning. They don't just go with what feels good, but they take the time to learn the truth so that they can worship in truth as well as in spirit. Remember what Jesus said in John 4.24, kind of our theme verse for this series. Would you say it with me, please? I think it's going to be on the screen here. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. In truth is the operative phrase today. True worshipers are wise. As we live in this world, we must take great care about who or what we worship because there are a lot of imposters out there, a lot of pretenders out there. The choice that we make in worshiping, who we will worship, will have a lasting impact in our lives. It will make the difference in the direction we take and where we end up. We'll end up with that. The final destination will be drastically different depending on who you choose to worship. The choice of that worship changes the course of our lives. So be careful. Our text this morning comes from 1 John, chapter 4. Main text is in chapter 4, 1 John. Read along with me, please. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world... This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God, and you have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. There is one spirit of God, but there are many spirits of falsehood out in the world. We have to find the one that is the true one. There is one spirit is from God, and there are many that are not from God. And John says that there are many false prophets. There are many people that are the talking heads, the ones, you know, spouting off, the people that are giving you all those sound bites, the people that are giving you all the, the messages that say, here's, 
Here's the truth. Here's what you should believe. Here's what you should practice. Here's the religion for you. Here's how you should worship and whom you should worship. And most of them are going to be wrong because there's only one true spirit. There are things that are true. There are things that are false in life. Just as there are things that are right, things that are wrong. God made a good world, a perfect world, but yet it was corrupted when man let sin enter to the world. That whole creation was corrupted. And many of the problems we have today are a result of that. Not because God made bad things or God made junk, but because man messed it up. Because man made choices and the impact has carried on through the centuries, through the generations. There is now evil in the world as well as good. There is wickedness as well as righteousness. And we live in a culture that tries to dispute that, that tries to play that down. Uh, there's not really that much good and bad. It's not that sharp of a line between black and white. There's all kinds of gray in the middle. And really, choose any of those, it's okay. You choose your way, I'll choose my way. As long as we're both sincere in what we do, who cares? That's what the world is trying to say to us today. That's what the culture is throwing at us today. But it is still true that there is true truth or uh, godliness and goodness, and there is also error, and there is falsehood, and there is wickedness. Getting real with God in wisdom demands that we have the wisdom to know the difference, the, the difference between truth and error. Well, what is wisdom? Webster says that wisdom is a couple things. It is accumulation of philosophic or scientific learning. Let's throw that one aside. Definition two, the ability to discern what is true, right, and lasting. There's a definition we like. Another simple definition Webster gives us is simply this. Wisdom is good sense. <laughs> wisdom is just knowing. Wisdom is being able to make a choice and make a good choice. Do you have wisdom when it comes to who or what you worship? That's the question today. When the Bible speaks about wisdom, it uses six different words, but basically it talks about two different kinds of wisdom. Worldly wisdom and biblical wisdom. Worldly wisdom is a philosophy that trusts man's thoughts, man's ideas, man's intelligence, rather than what God has revealed. And since it is limited by man's limited abilities, man's limited knowledge, man's limited awareness, worldly wisdom is limited and ultimately non-productive. You can't really get to eternity thinking the way man does, just with that alone. Worldly wisdom is doomed to failure in eternity. In the end, it can be seen as sheer foolishness. In the worst, in the, in the end, it's, it's opposed to God. Now, uh, the Bible rejects that. There's a second kind of wisdom the Bible calls biblical wisdom. And this is the wisdom that is learned from God as His Spirit reveals things to us, as the Spirit imparts knowledge to us, as God opens up his awareness, as God opens up his knowledge, then man has something to work with. Man can understand and man can see things that he could not see on his own. As we revere God, as we respect God, and as we seek him with all of our heart, then we can grow in wisdom and in understanding. And so, because it's dependent on God and God's revelation, biblical wisdom is unlimited. Biblical wisdom can discover all things because all truth is God's 
And all of creation is God's, and as he reveals things to us, we can only learn, we can only grow, we can only become more wise as we devote ourselves to him. And this is why Christians spoke last week about loving God or loving the world, because a choice has to be made. The verses there between worldly wisdom and biblical wisdom is a, is a real one. Make a choice. Either surrender to God or be just part of the world. God is a God of truth and righteousness. It is an affront to worship Him however you want to. Or to worship Him whenever you want to. It is an affront to God to worship according to your feelings and emotions without regard for the revelation that He has given us in this book, The Word of God. True worship requires wisdom and discernment on our part, which will come in time when we are devoted to God and we put forth the efforts and, uh, and ask Him, receive from Him what He wants to give. Idolatry is worshiping anything as God, except for God. <laughs> anything that you want to put up there. It could be yourself, it could be your family, it could be your job, it could be money, could be sex, could be uh, any, anything you want to fill in the blank and say, if I put that before God, that is now idolatry. That is worshiping something other than God, and God not only frowns on that, God condemns that in the most strong terms possible. My Sunday school class spent a long time looking at Exodus this morning and the idolatry of the Israelites as they were getting out of Egypt and trying to make their way to the promised land. This is a constant problem that people are drawn aside to worship the wrong things. So how do we worship in wisdom? We have an enemy that is cunning. We have an enemy that is deceptive. An enemy that is, is a, a great pretender, a master deceiver. He's a chameleon. And so we have to get very smart, very wise in our worship of God. What is worshiping with wisdom? Well, let me share four things with you. First of all, worshiping with wisdom is worshiping God in truth. We already saw that in John 4.24. Worshiping in truth. It's worshiping God honestly. It's worshiping God humbly. It's worshiping God reverently. It's acknowledging, first of all, that God already knows everything about you. He knows the good and the bad. He knows the pluses and the minuses. He knows the failures and successes. And you know what? He loves you anyway. <laughs> he loves me anyway. And that's an amazing thing, that God will accept us as, as we are. And if we come before him and acknowledge that, if we will confess that, if we will be truthful about that, it changes everything. So worship Him in truth. Worshiping God is worshiping uh, Him in, in sincerity and in genuineness, not hiding anything. Worshiping in truth, we don't worry about trying to impress other people around us or trying to, to uh, think about what they think about us or our Christianity. It's not about that because it's about God. It's about our relationship with Him. It's about acknowledging who we really are before God. This is sincerely seeking God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are you learning to worship God in truth? Or are you still pretending with God? Get rid of that. You can't do anything else until you get over that. Come before God as humbly, as sincerely, as genuinely, as honestly, as transparently as you possibly can and begin there. Because He loves you anyway. So what a great place to begin.
Worshipping with wisdom is worshipping the true God, which is basically what we were talking about before. Not a God that someone else made up. Not a God that maybe we even created. We are created in His image, not the other way around. And so our worship is directed only towards Him. And we are drawn to this true God in worship. He fashioned us in such a way that we long to worship Him. There is, a, there is an emptiness. There is a hole in us that only God can fill. And God made us that way. But many people try to put other things there. Many other people uh, try to put people there. They try to put relationships there. They try to put their job there, their money there, and all these other false gods that people have. And this is why the Bible, the Word of God, is so valuable to us. That we would not be misled that we would not be fooled, that we would not be snookered like we were when we bought the solar water heater. We had no business doing that. We didn't have $1,000 for that. But it sounded good at the time. And sometimes that's what happens to us in our worship with God. There are many kinds of worship that are man-made and some that are even demonic in origin. I wish it wasn't so, but it is. Worshiping the true God begins with discovering a person named Jesus. He's God's Son. And Jesus, God's Son, is the true and complete manifestation of who God is. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you want to know God, then get to know God's Son, Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the dividing line. Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. But to some, he's just a stumbling stone. They trip over him. They can't accept him. They can't believe that he's being so exclusive. Wait a minute. Why can't I have Jesus plus all these other things? Why can't I just have a piece of Jesus, not the whole thing? I really don't want all that other stuff. I just want the parts I like. The parts that are easy for me. This is not a new problem. The Apostle John faced it back in the first century. And looking at 1 John 2... He talks about this. He says, uh, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you've heard, there are many that the Antichrist is coming, even now many have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. That is the liar, John says. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. John says this is the issue. Who is Jesus? Because Jesus showed us even more complete fashion than these words on these pages who God is. And if you know Jesus, you know God. If you want to know the true God, you have to know Jesus. Here is where truth separates us from a lot of other groups. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, just name a lot of other religions. There are even branches of Christianity that may, may grab onto a little piece of Jesus and say, yeah, we believe in Jesus. 
They don't really believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the only Son of God, the only Savior of the world. They don't really believe that. They're just kind of holding on to his, his hem, you know, hoping that somehow they'll sneak through because we're still talking about Jesus. This is the dividing line. In the days of the Apostle John, when this letter was penned, John and the church faced a growing threat from a philosophy called Gnosticism. Gnosticism starts with a G, Gnosticism. And it's based on a Greek word gnosis, which is knowledge, which is to know. And, and in Gnosticism, the idea was that there was this special revelation, this special wisdom that would, would come upon a person, and they would get like a bump up, and, and they would understand more than the people around them, and they would have this awareness greater than the people around them, and, and that was the thing, to grab onto this knowledge, this special knowledge. Well, that part of it was somewhat right, and the only way to know God is to have his revelation, to have what God reveals, not what man can come up with. But the Gnosticism was emptiness. And the Gnosticism denied Christ. And specifically, John says in his letter, they denied that Jesus came in the flesh at all. He only appeared to. He didn't really die on the cross. He only appeared to. He didn't really rise from the grave because he never really died on the cross and he was never a human being after all. And that's what Gnosticism was pushing out there and, and, and promoting. And John says we have to reject that because they're rejecting Jesus. The heart of the gospel of God, the good news of God, is that Jesus came, God's Son. He lived as a human being. He lived perfectly. And He died on a cross to pay for our sins, to redeem us from death and hell. And that's the heart. You can't lose that. There are many other perversions of the truth today, but a view similar to Gnosticism is seen in Islam. You don't know that. Muslims believe that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. He just appeared to die on the cross. Almost always, these kinds of perversions of the truth revolve around Jesus. The teachings, the activities, the views about Jesus. And that's what separates us from Everyone else, I guess, because we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, and only through Him can we have life eternal. Are you worshiping the true God or a God of your own making? Are you worshiping the true God or a God who does what you want Him to? Third thing, worshiping with wisdom, is worshiping whether we feel like it or not. <laughs> Wisdom is not on again, off again, depending on your day. Worship is not hit or miss, depending on whether you're sick or healthy, whether there's anything better. You know, you know I have a better option today. Maybe I'll worship if I have nothing else to do. Worship is knowing that worship is good and right, even at times when we may not feel like worshiping. A wise worship of Christ makes worship a priority, not something that is subject to how we feel on a given day or whether we have a better option to exercise. Worship is not something you do for an hour on Sunday morning. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is every day, no matter what's going on or no matter what you may feel on any given day. And worshiping God with wisdom keeps our worship from being subject to our mood swings or our busyness or to whatever someone else may be demanding of us at any particular time. Worship is a priority 
for a true worshiper. I hear people say things like, I don't have time for church. Or I don't have time for God. Many Christians have told me, I don't have time to read my Bible every day. I don't have time to pray every day. I'm sorry, I, I don't understand that. I, I don't get that. You see, God made us. And everything that we have, everything that we are, comes from Him. Why would we not have time to spend with Him? Why would we not want to spend time with Him? I, I don't get that. The Bible says in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes down from heaven above. We owe God everything good that we have. Doesn't He deserve our worship? Aren't we missing the point of following Christ if we determine how far we let our relationship with, with Him go? If, if we say, you know, Jesus, I want you, and I want all of this, but I'm not so sure about that. So I'll, I'll open this far. Come in this far, but stop. Stop right there. And we take the parts we like and we leave the rest. Aren't we missing the point when we make Christianity comfortable, when we make Christianity easy, when we make it self-satisfying, when we make church about, was it the music I wanted? Was it the style of preaching that was best for me? Was communion, uh, did it just come together the way I like it to? You know, we're missing. We're missing a lot of the point here. That worshiping with wisdom is, is not dependent on me or you. Final thing, worshiping with wisdom is worshiping uh, that is worship, worship that is about God. It, it's not about us. It's, it's uh, let me just say this. Too much of Christianity today too much of Christian worship today is motivated by a consumer mentality. Let's just say it. You know, we go shopping. We go to the stores we like because they have what we want. We go church shopping and we go to the churches we like because they have what we want. There's something, something that's not quite right about that. And we, we move around because it's not as satisfying as it used to be, or it doesn't really take care of me where I am now in this phase of my life. Too much of what we do as Christians, too much as we do of, of involvement in the church depends on, on what pleases us, what satisfies us, what charges us up. Too much of our worship is about us and not about God. As Christian said last week, worship is surrender. <laughs> Last time I checked, surrender means you're no longer calling the shots. You're no longer in charge. You're no longer controlling anything. You put your wrists out there and they tie them together and they take you where they want you to go and they feed you when they feel like feeding you. If they don't, they don't. If they want to give you water to drink, they give you. If they don't, you just wait because you've surrendered. You've put yourself at their disposal. You've given over your will to theirs. When we make church about us, we miss the whole point. We lose. We really lose. Idolatry is false worship, even when the one we are worshiping is us. We need to wise up and put the focus back on God. We need to wise up and put the focus back on God, whatever that may cost. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to change virtually everything. Everything about how you live. 
how you relate to people, how you do your job, how you go to school. It's going to change how we act as a church. But it will be worth it when we see what God will do in our lives and in His church. Henry Blackaby said it better than I can. The Christian life is an exchanged life. Jesus' life for your life. When Christ takes control, your life takes on dimensions you would never have known apart from Him. It is marvelously freeing, he said, to know that God controls your life and knows what it can become. Rather than constantly worrying about what you will face, your great challenge is to continually release every area of your life to God's control. The temptation will be to try to do by yourself what only God can do. Only God can be God. Allow Him to live out His divine life through you. He's the only one who can. I love the way he says that. Some of you know the poem, Only one life, only one life will, to, will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, Thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, T'was worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Make your worship about God and you will never regret it. Your life will change so dramatically you will sit in awe of the one who can make that possible. Let's pray. Father, we are, we are in awe of you. We are in awe of what you can do in our lives. We don't deserve any of that. We don't deserve what you can do. But we humble ourselves before you. We ask, Lord, that you would touch our hearts, that you would help us to see what maybe we've missed up till today. For those who may be here, Lord, that are, that are still kind of feeling things out, seeking you, we pray that, that they would understand, that they would see, that their eyes would be opened. We pray for all of us who have known you for some time now, that our hearts would be genuine, that we would be honest and humble, and we would be so impressed by you that day after day we would stand in awe and live for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A little boy went to a